0: Hi, this is Mandy Griffin. And I'm Katie Swalwell. And welcome to Our Dirty Laundry.
1: Stories of white ladies making a mess of things. And how we need to clean up our act.
0: Hey guys, it's us. Hi. Our Dirty Laundry. This is Mandy. And I'm Katie. And Kent. <laughs> we're back to talk about white ladies as we do we are white ladies
1: yes, if we are white know. ladies
0: white <laughs> ladies
1: um, and we like learning about the ways that we and our foremothers have been complicit in white supremacy because we don't think that's good and we want to stop it and the ways that it intersects with sexism heterosexism homophobia transphobia ableism Classism, settler colonialism, Christian bullshit. What am I forgetting? I'm sure there's more.
0: <laughs> all the things, all, all of the, things. the isms.
1: Yeah. Hey, yeah. I so, I do want to yes. say quickly because I don't know if everyone's listened to our mini that we put out this week, but first of all, pat on the back that we actually got two episodes we out this one. week. did one. Like, <laughs> whoa. Um, but I mentioned that the NFL is nonprofit and you laughed in my face. And then I looked it up, and I wasn't wrong. It's a little more Well, it's more complicated. not anymore. It's not anymore, but, but it's very recent, right, like just a few was. years ago. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like – I didn't want to go too far down these rabbit holes because, like, at one level, who cares? But I was like, okay, I'm not making this up in my head yeah, yeah. that the, the League's office was tax-exempt um, mm. since 1942 because they operated – they considered themselves a trade association, And had all these member teams, and so they were the central office was nonprofit, but the teams Mm -hmm. weren't, and so then they got rid of it partly because they um, felt like it was bad PR. To think
0: (laughs) NFL is not nonprofit. Yeah,
1: (laughs) so this (laughs) Uh, is mostly my pride. I was like, oh yeah, okay, I wasn't Mm -hmm. completely off base, but yeah, no, I I was technically wrong that
0: they could think (laughs) they would be nonprofit (laughs)
1: exactly. Exactly. What is wrong with oh yes.
0: Them? So listen to that if you want to hear some really great um, info on white liberal women joining in the bullshit fray of pearl clutching and ridiculousness. And there's going to be some good. We're going to get a social media post up with some good pictures of, of Tipper. Oh, such Tipper good Noor. pictures.
1: Yes. <laughs> um. Oh. I also sent you a text today. I was laughing. So, so hard. I was watching this clip from The Late Show from Stephen Colbert. They have this really great skit about White Fragility Taboo, the new party game that you can play. Oh, and yeah. they have like a fake commercial for it. And it was it was funny. And they then he um, quoted this representative from Rhode Island, Patricia yeah. Morgan, yeah. just tweeted. Um, I
0: think <laughs> this is actually... Kind of old, because I remember reading about this controversy with her saying this, but but within the past few months. But I don't think it was just recently. Oh, okay, But But, like within
1: this kind of like current we should ban CRT situation. Uh Uh So the hashtag on this tweet is hashtag CRT. um, And her tweet is, I had a black friend. I liked her. And I think she liked me, too. But now she is hostile and unpleasant. I am sure I didn't do anything to her except be white. Is that what teachers and our political leaders really want for our society? Divide us because of our skin color. And I can't stop laughing at this <laughs> stupid fucking tweet. Anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, also this lady's face. I think that I'm going to show you. We could put this up. I think, I think that's her. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on. It's exactly who you think she would look like. When you read that post. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But today. We're going to keep talking about now, the National Organization of Women and what they're up to now. I now, 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 now.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I left off with Ellie Sneal in like the late 70s, early 80s, and this mm-hmm. sort of scandals around her presidency and um, and and her contradictions. I think like she making statements about wanting to, you know, be in solidarity with women of color or kind of unclear, like sometimes promoting um, agendas that are inclusive of lesbian women. Sometimes I like, it wasn't entirely clear to me, but, but definitely this, her white liberal feminist un like inability to see or frame the ways that how, well, I should say like this, like her inability to frame things in a way that aren't white, inherently white, even her, like liberal agenda or further left agenda that it's still super white centered. Um, Yeah. So, um, okay. Anything else stand out to you from the last couple episodes that you've been mulling over that you've been thinking about?
0: Um, No, I'm reading a book that we talked about. I'm in the middle of reading it um, against white feminism. And Ellie Snail actually comes up in one of the chapters that I'm reading. Oh really? So we will have to circle back around to the ways that she also Participates in like the industrial war complex and colonialism in her white feminineness. Because there's a section talking just about how um, liberal white feminists got involved in the quote war on terror um, by framing it as like a feminist issue in a way that we were going to go again, like be the white saviors of everyone over all the women in the Middle East and how that's just very. Mm white sided once again. Uh So Uh Uh anyway, yeah, she comes back
1: around
0: um, against white feminism.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yes, we're going to talk about now, now, but I want to pick up where we left off. And I wanted to just talk a little bit more about the work of now. And there are clearly so many things that now has accomplished or been involved in, but again, just trying to look at it through a, um, critical lens, even if it's a, like, I appreciate the work you did in these ways, but you really missed the mark in these ways, or this is how all of this stuff gets reproduced is if you're uh, addressing these issues in a non-intersectional, non-solidarity way. Yeah. So they, on their website, they list 141 highlights in their history, mm. And I did not do, this was not my most rigorous data analysis I've ever engaged in as Mm -hmm. a researcher. But I I just did kind of like a general scan and account of what the highlights might have had in common. So what kind of categories of highlights they had. And there were some, I mean, 141, that's a lot of highlights for sure. But I was mostly interested in how many of those highlights had anything to do with race. And from what I could count, I could count 12 of the okay. 141 having, like, a race-forward um, Almost 10%. elements. Almost 10%. <laughs> and a few of them are very sketchy. Like, they count the fact that Shirley, Shirley Chisholm got elected as the first black woman to Congress or to the House of Representatives, which mm. I think it was just Congress generally. Um, and she was a member of NOW, so they kind of take credit for that as a highlight. And I'm a little skeptical of that, like, well, yeah, that's yeah. not really your doing, but, um, okay. So here are the 12 highlights that, that do have some connection to race in some way. 1972, okay. they endorse Shirley Chisholm in the democratic primary for president. And they mentioned that she, as I said, won the election to the house of representatives and is the first black woman to do so. And she's a no member, Um, 1979 now has a minority women's committee that organizes the conference, racism and sexism, a shared struggle for equal rights. That's one time. So it would seem like they probably didn't solve all of that or like figure all of that out in one (laughs) meeting, but maybe they did. I don't know. 1980, the now conference adopts an affirmative action bylaw reserving a minimum number of board seats for women of color. Uh, Which was contentious because if you remember Ellie Smeal, that was part of her campaign was to to basically say, like, affirmative action just tokenizes people. We shouldn't do that. So I can Mm -hmm. imagine that was a contentious decision. Mm -hmm. 1987 now convenes the first conference on women of color and reproductive freedom. Then regional conferences follow that. But that's just one time that ever. Maybe it happens other times. But other conferences, they mention, like, the second, the third, the fourth. So Either there were more conferences that they're not mentioning on their website, or it's just the first one. I don't know. Um, okay. Nineteen ninety-six, they there's a discrimination case against Mitsubishi for race and sex discrimination. They have a ton of cases that they file suit against or like publicly out companies, but that was the only one that mentioned race and sex discrimination. The others just mentioned sex discrimination. Okay. In the late eighties, they're working to fight for the Civil Rights Restoration Act. 1998 now holds its first Women of Color and Allies Summit, during which activists support equal wages for women janitors in the U.S. Capitol. 2003 now endorses the campaign of Carol Mosley Braun, who's the second Black woman to run for president. But like that doesn't necessarily seem like a highlight. Like you're just endorsing someone. But okay, I'm glad they're like. Other than that, I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. sure they campaigned for her, but it's like, well. That's different, I think, than your work. But okay, then 2005 is the second now Women of Color and Allies Summit, which, if you remember, the first one was 1998. Hmm. So, seven years go by. They have a second summit that draws hundreds of women to draft an action plan to empower and energize women of color. And then the last two are an anniversary march for uh, Martin Luther King's I Dream, I Have a Dream speech, and a 40th anniversary march. On Washington for the march that Martin Luther King gave that speech at, which also are, are like very tangentially about race. And they have one yeah. of the 141 highlights talked about immigration. Just one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then, oh gosh, there's lots of other things. Um, they're really focused on the ERA, which I know we're going to get into next. They have a few things that talk about media representation. Um, some of their work are centered on, on politics, like trying to get uh, platform planks into the Democratic Party agenda, uh, trying to get nominees like Geraldine Ferraro on the ticket. And maybe um, they spoke in favor of Sandra Day O'Connor when she was nominated at the Supreme Court. They're encouraging feminists to run for office. There was other, other campaign issues on education, like trying to get um, women's studies programs started, supporting Title IX, trying to get childcare legislation passed. But, like they're mentioned here and there. Um, actually, the Comprehensive Child Care Act was really interesting. That was proposed in 1970. I just think about it all the time because we have little kids and I'm constantly just flabbergasted why we don't have a better infrastructure. For anyone mm-hmm. who listens to this podcast, by the way, um, Undistracted is a great podcast with Brittany Packnett Cunningham. It's so, 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 so good. And she just, one of her latest episodes, she interviewed Ai-jen Poo, um, who is the like exact, I don't know her official title, but she's, it's like a domestic workers union that she works with and she's fantastic. And it's this really fantastic conversation about child care needing to be considered a public good and an infrastructure issue, um, which I totally agree with. Anyway, that's like now in 2022, but in 1970, in 1971, there were campaigns for this comprehensive child care act that Shirley Chisholm sponsored and Bella Abzug and then in the Senate, Walter Mondale and Jacob Javits, and then now lobbied for it. But Nixon vetoed it because it was the Sovietization of American children. Mm.
0: Helping people is out is communist. So do
1: you know? Okay. <laughs> <It is. laughs> yep. Um, and then they have, so they're doing a lot of like lobbying. They're doing, um, you know, some lawsuits kinds of things. They also did some direct action and some protesting marches. Uh, one that I read about, I'd never heard of was called Alice doesn't day. And mm-hmm. this referred to a Martin Scorsese movie that had just come out called Alice doesn't live here anymore, which I've never seen. I've Mm-mm. heard of it, but I've never seen. It's basically mm-hmm. a movie about this is at least what I've read. I Yes. Is Alice is, um, a woman who is widowed and then pursues her dream of being a singer. And so at the time there were some feminists who thought it was this really great movie about women's empowerment. And so they're using the film, Alice doesn't live here anymore. And then they just dropped off the last part. So you fill in the blank, like Alice doesn't blah, blah, blah. At first, no joke. I thought maybe it referred to Alice of the Brady bunch and like her the housekeeper. Isn't going to do your shit anymore, oh. <laughs> but it wasn't, it I was wasn't thinking that. of Alice
0: <laughs> in Wonderland. I don't know. Oh.
1: No. Not mm-hmm. this, like, Martin Scorsese Mm-mm. movie from nope. 1970 or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so basically this day, they now organized it and they wanted women to participate however they could, um, including, like, not doing any volunteer work, not shopping, not um, doing any housework, not going to work. Just, like, a day without women kind of a day mm-hmm. and just short um, – They said, if you can't skip work, can you wear an armband to show your solidarity? And Karen DeCrow was the president at the time who I mentioned last week. Um, And her explanation of this event was, um, there is a myth that women in the workforce could go home. But if they did, our economy would stop. If all the secretaries did not come to work, all things would stop. But of course, not a lot of women, like not everyone could participate. Of course, there were the anti-feminists like Phyllis Schlafly, who we should get into in the season two, like the anti Feminist mm-hmm. women who that day, then they decided to wear pink baked cookies and like overperform female oh, tasks Lord. as a counter protest. Yeah, <laughs> of course they did. Um, Gross. And so now says it's a success, but the mainstream media covered it as a big failure. And one of the critiques was that it showed off the whiteness and middle classness of now. Um, that working class women, especially women of color who are working class, like obviously couldn't withhold their labor like that. Right. And um, Have the it, it takes take a special a work. privilege to decide yep. not to do those things. So yep. anyway. OK, so those are some, like some of the kinds of actions they engaged in. So how many did I say? Twelve, 12. specific mm-hmm. mentions about race like as and I'm stretching that a little bit mm-hmm. um, at least eight focused specifically on sexual violence, like rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment. They supported the Violence Against Women Act. They were really strong lobbyists of that. They were some of the um, first take back the night actions in the 70s to protest violence against women. Um, But again, a lot of that is like through a very white lens. Um, at least 16 mentions in the highlights were of LGBTQIA campaigns and concerns. So more mentions of that than of race. And I'm not trying to pit these concerns against each other at all. Right. I just think it's interesting to see them like in relation to each other. Mm-hmm. Then at least 21 were about employment discrimination, a lot about um, Title VII. I'm not even counting the ERA in any of this because that was a ton of their work was around the ERA. But there were really specific employment things like affirmative action, Title VII. There was a women-friendly workplace workplace campaign, and actually, Mitsubishi that I mentioned before um, was its first now Merchant of Shame that they mm. would give this like moniker to companies that were really bad. <laughs> I wonder how for women to work Brown feels about. Merchant of shame. <laughs> of shame. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're companies that were really mistreating that's women. Funny. So I think that's, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, what it should it.
0: be. <laughs> then
1: at least 23 of the highlights foreground reproductive rights are on abortion and contraception. And I could not find anything about sterilization. There was that mm-hmm. one conference on women of color and reproductive rights, which where I imagine that came up. But yeah. otherwise, it's also like a very white women, middle class women focus on reproductive rights from what, as, you know, mm-hmm. at least based on what we learned in a reproductive right, mm-hmm. rights movement, where if you're not also talking about sterilization, if you're not also talking about the human rights abuses to even get the pill, then you shouldn't be talking about access to the pill, yeah. you know, or you shouldn't just be thinking about access to abortion, but you need to think about safe abortion. You need to think about efforts to sterilize particular groups of women, etc. cetera. Yeah. So, the list is very long and and to be honest, like it is actually really impressive. Like, wow, that's a lot of work over the last 50 years. You know, mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. it's a lot of highlights, but when you look at it through this lens, you're like, oh, it's a lot of white women, middle class, yeah. straight yeah. women highlights with like a dash of attention to lesbian issues. Um I'll but be it's interested mostly, to see like
0: maybe how that shifts. I don't know. Um how much you looked into if you're going to get into the current president of now. Yes. Um, Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. Cause the current president of now is a, is a black woman.
1: Right. Well, and I think like what's happening literally right now, now yeah. I don't know much about, but the like, I mean like as of yesterday, but I did right. catch up with this scandal that um, was initially published in the daily beast and then got picked up by other places mm, that okay. is taking place in 2017, which is not that long ago. So yeah, I'm not really, and you'll, I don't know, you'll see kind of where it leaves off. And I'm not surprised that they're making more public efforts because this is really shitty. What okay. Happens. Great. Okay. Well, so zoom forward. Those are all the highlights and they, they go up to like the early two thousands, like early 20 teens. And again, a lot of highlights. Okay. So 2017, it's this huge network, all 50 states plus Washington, D.C. It has 550 chapters. That's big, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 2017, the election for president is on the ticket is 29-year-old Monica Weeks, who is a daughter of a Cuban immigrant. I think her mom was from Cuba. And then um, she is running with China Forts in Washington, who is a black woman. Okay. And... That's the very first time in the entire organization's history that both president and vice presidential candidates are women of color. Okay, they are running against this white woman, Tony Van Pelt, who is a former travel agency owner, and then her vice presidential running mate is a longtime now board member, Gilda Yazi, um, who's a Native woman. And I should have looked up her nation. I'm sorry. I will figure that out. Okay, so that's who's running against each other. And Monica Weeks then is you know, like not only is a woman of color, but also younger than the average member. So she's giving this speech in Florida, like a campaign speech, and she's telling the audience, and this is all reported again in the Daily Beast, this article by Emily Sugarman called Don't Forget the White Women. Members say racism ran rampant at now. So Monica Weeks is giving this speech and she's saying it's important. Um, it's important because we need to give a voice to those most oppressed in order to make everybody better. That's women of color, that's disabled people, that's LGBTQ people. And the article says she was about to move on to the most relevant part of her stump speech, how now could help do all of this when she was interrupted by a white woman in the audience, white women too, the woman yelled. Uh And then, yeah, don't forget Uh the white women weeks replied evenly, just the woman with the pussies. Another woman called out in what seemed to be a reference to trans women and this apparently there's a video of all of this and so the reporter's like she watched the video and she could hear people groaning when someone yelled just the women with the pussies and then Week says it's okay it is important to include all women and then the original heckler goes all women and then Week says yeah it's important to include all women but if you don't realize the privilege has been afforded to you because of a difference in color we recognize it the first woman yelled again she is <laughs> so, this person. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but she so Monica Weeks can like get her speech back on track, but she said that for the first time that she realized, like, oh, this is so bad. Like, I don't it's not like she was unaware, but I think she just the depth of the systemic issues in this organization, mm-hmm. she was just like, Oh. Cheese. So she said, "This organization has a problem of racism and ageism, and they don't know how to deal with it." Basically, meaning this is a bunch of like middle-aged white women, and they suck. Mm -hmm. Um, She said, "I thought when I was coming into the feminist movement, I was joining this big sisterhood, and that was the biggest disappointment of my life." So this the 2017 conference is going on where the election takes place, and. People that this uh, reporter interviewed found China forts in Washington, called her an angry black woman, called her entitled, accused Monica Weeks of being a hot headed Latina, just like the stupid, you know, just. Yeah. All the the things. Tropiest, Mm -hmm. bigoted stereotypes. Um, And then at the last day of the conference, a dozen or so members have now marched around to protest racism inside the organization, which if you can remember was also something that happened in its like earliest days. Mm-hmm. So then this reporter starts tapping into all of these other people and gets a bunch of emails and starts interviewing folks and like starts tracking down, like how systemic is this? Like, what is the context of this all going on? Because um, weeks and forts in Washington lose and uh, Tony Van wins the election. Mm-hmm. So when Van Pelt wins more than a dozen employees at the national headquarters sign on um, because I think she must have already been present for a while because they had all this information to be like, she sucks mm-hmm. and she has disparaged women of color and it's been really bad. And that her running mate actually filed a federal racial discrimination suit. And one former employee tells this reporter, I'm a black woman, I have experienced racism, but what happened there, I have never experienced that before. Um, oh, I was going to say too. at this conference when the election is happening there, there just are all these like white lady murmurs that people are telling the reporter that they overheard or just like shit that went down at the meeting. Like one white woman was complaining about quote, this black lives matter crap. When <laughs> China Forts in Washington mentioned bringing the need to bring more women of color into the organization. And during the Q&A session, um, somebody also reported point blank that white um, a white woman asked, what are white women supposed to do if everyone focuses on women of color? <laughs> mm-hmm. So Whoa. basically, Ladies, the, like dozens of people... <laughs> I know <laughs> dozens of lady, of women that are members that this reporter talks to basically say something along the lines of this. This is a direct quote from one of the informants, but it says um, now's true face was very different below the convenient lip surface of sisterhood. It revealed itself to be the worst kind of clique. And the members are not women who look like me. Um, so there's, you know, this like protest and there, you know, whatever. It's clearly a divided Like some people are really upset about the racism that's in the organization, and some people obviously vote for this other person. And so Tony Vidpout wins. So these people resign. They um, write a letter to the members, the general membership of the organization and the board on June 7th, 2018. And it's former now staffers and interns. They say, we are writing to ask for serious consideration of the removal of Tony Van Pelt as president of the National Organization for Women and for serious appraisal of Tony's leadership since she began her term in August 2017. And all of these staffers either resigned or were fired in the past Mm. year. And they said they were all struggling with how to handle Van Pelt's, quote, illegal, morally reprehensible, dishonest, destructive, and frankly toxic behavior. According to the reporter from the Daily Beast, they claimed Van Pelt had physically, verbally, and emotionally threatened staff members, irrevocably damaged relationships with coalition partners, and led an office with a total lack of structure and protocols. And then all of these examples of racism, like one time, Tony Van Pelt spoke on a panel with a black reverend and refused to use his official title, just called in by his first name. They said um, she forgot um, Congresswoman Jayapal's first name and kept asking her staffers, what's her name? Putin Jabi? And then um, (laughs) referred to their social media director, who is an Asian-American woman, as the IT person, regularly talked over women of color in meetings and conferences. Um, They said in one weekly strategy call, Van Pelt cut off a black woman fundraising expert saying, I don't care about your opinion. But they said the worst of it was Van Pelt's treatment of Gilda Yazzie, who was her Mm -hmm. running mate and vice president. And that... When they took when she took office, so yeah, I'm sorry that I didn't clear that up. If she had been president, or if this was like new, like she was newly taking over. Anyway, that she reduced like a ton of the responsibilities. She mm-hmm. denied her access to payroll software. She instructed staff not to talk to her about payroll related issues. She ordered a staff member to buy a stamp of Gildyazi's signature so that she. Ostensibly, I guess, could use the signature use without her consent. Like, why do you need a stamp of someone else's signature? That's super sketchy. Um, and then staffers claimed Van Pelt had told them that she chose Yazzie as a running mate because she needed a woman of color on the mm-hmm. ticket. Um, there were several people who confirmed that she said that. Um, so there was this, um, lawsuit that was filed in DC court. And I'm actually not sure what happened with this lawsuit, how it all turned out, but that she was, um, like, officially complaining about this harassment. Um, According to the lawsuit, it started like right off the bat and that Van Pelt refused to collaborate with Yazzie, meet individually with her or even communicate with her directly. And that they had this like epic fight in January of 2018, where Van Pelt chased her around the office, throwing papers and yelling at her and staffers confirmed this. Um, And that's when after like later that day is when, he sent an email to the national office staff saying she's not coming into the office for a few days. Like that was too much. Um, and that Van Pelt responded by saying, let me remind you that I am president and as such your immediate supervisor, I expect you to see you in the office tomorrow, behaving in a calm, rational manner. <laughs> so then
0: I think what happened just like looking quickly and I don't know all the details, yeah. but it seems like the court, um, Oh, good. Granted the motion against Now and Van Pelt for assault and battery for that incident that you just talked about. But it was denied um, on the basis of employment discrimination and defamation. But Mm. at least there was enough evidence that she actually... Like it happened. Yeah. She committed assault and battery against her. Good God. I mean, I've
1: had some bad work situations, but that... That's definitely pretty <laughs> that's epically bad. That's um, <laughs> yes. They, she also accused, even though she had denied her access to this payroll software, that Van Pelt accused Yazzie of mishandling the organization's finances, which then Yazzie was like, that's not even my job. So ultimately, she ends up working remotely, and then um, the board votes to remove her as vice president of the wow. organization, of which she'd been a member for nearly 30 years. Hmm. Huh. So that's great. So Yazzie tells the Daily Beast, they are a very poor picture of feminists. They didn't care that I was being discriminated against, that I was being tokenized, that I was being threatened in the office, that I was afraid for my safety. They wanted me, but they wanted me as a token. They did not want me as a full functioning vice president. Well, that's interesting
0: because the woman who is currently president now, Christian Nunez, Um, who was elected in August of 2020, it just says underneath that that she was previously appointed vice president by the board in May 2019. So she must have been the person who was appointed Mm -hmm. in place of Yazzie, but then that makes me wonder
1: what her
0: thoughts and role was in that whole controversy (sighs) before that. It's so
1: hard. Like, I think about any institution i've been a part of an organization and they're just there is no clear right path forward like i totally get why people leave and just say like fuck this i'm out mm-hmm. i also get why people stay and they're like no i have to stay to fight for the space to try to make it better for people who are coming after me i think both are completely reasonable responses you know yeah. and the response i don't think is reasonable is like i'll just be complicit and participate in all of this and hope that they don't come for me you know right that right. sucks. Um, okay, so this other that was all like that election I told you about with Monica Weeks was in 2017. And mm-hmm. in this Daily Beast article, they also talk about this other issue that happened in the same year. Stephanie Lorraine Pinheiro is a Puerto Rican woman who's the executive director of a Florida abortion fund. and the now chapter invites her to speak in 2017. And she initially hesitates because now has this reputation of being like middle class white women. And she's not sure if that's mm-hmm. like who she wants to speak to, but she goes. And it's worse than she thought. Here's her quote. Yeah. It was a shit show, to be honest, <laughs> oh, which is wow. <laughs> amazing. So it, she was interrupted constantly. She was talked over constantly. The chapter president did nothing to stop people from doing that to her. She just felt like incredibly disrespected. So she emails the next day. The chapter president, this woman, Barbara Cady, about her concerns and then attached some readings on white silence in the face of racism. Mm. Any guesses how Barbara Cady how went over. I'm sure I'm sure that she was very
0: open <laughs> and apologetic for her experience and
1: said she wanted to learn, right? That's what she said. Like, no. thank you so much for this feedback. Yeah. I really appreciate that you believe in me enough to believe that I will even try to do this. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I'm actually going to read the full email because it is so bad shit. Are you ready? Oh my God. Okay. 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 Dear Stephanie, I was driving to Tallahassee when I saw your first email and was quite taken aback by it at first read. I've had time to digest the first email. And now at the end of my first evening in Tallahassee, after meeting with women in parentheses from all ethnicities, <laughs> who have come together to try and make a difference in the lives of their neighbors. I've had some time to reflect on your words. Since you made this personal, dot dot dot. All I see when you read your words, when I read your words, is a young person, a very young person, attempting to lay blame for your bad feelings about your bad experience on the world around you. I have news for you. You have no right to lay blame for your bad experience on me. The I'm not having it comment was meant for you to see, meaning I'm not accepting responsibility for any of your feelings. I welcomed you, greeted you, and my responsibility ended there. I'm not responsible for people in a room who speak when they feel the need. Everyone in that room is an adult individual and responsible for their own actions, including you. You were free to leave any time if you weren't feeling safe. I disagree with your assessment that I, in parentheses, a person you just met and knew nothing about you. Has any responsibility for your emotional well being or responsibility to create any kind of space for you? That is your own responsibility you were invited to talk about your organization. That's it. At this point, I will say I think you greatly exaggerated the response from the group. They enjoyed your presentation. They asked questions and occasionally side talk got a little out of control. It's called passion. Each one of those women have experienced discrimination beyond what you can ever imagine experiencing in your short lifetime simply because they've lived through many decades of gender discrimination on top of other types of discrimination. And believe me when I tell you, it used to be a lot worse. We are the generation who fought so your generation can have the laws and freedoms that are currently in place yes we have a long way to go perhaps you should study some women's history i recommend incidents in the life of a slave girl by harriet jacobs that book is a harrowing tale of a woman in which she endured during a terrible time in the history of this country there was no safe space for women of color during that time i'm going to read more but i'm just going to tap in to see what your thoughts are at this (sighs) point because holy fuck this email i i
0: i just don't understand how people don't hear themselves Like, how do you? Did she proofread this?
1: (laughs) I don't know. Why don't we? No, she sat and thought about this email. She's like, "I've really given this a lot of thought."
0: And here I go. I'm just gonna full out crazy bitch this one right now.
1: (laughs) I'm, I uh, like Uh, the ageism, older white woman. Yeah, the ageism.
0: I, I, I mean, yeah. I'm. I think that now, maybe we can critique that better maybe we because we're getting older
1: (laughs) we're middle-aged white
0: women yeah we're middle we're middle-aged but I I think I mean I don't want to come off as like the young person who's against that I don't think we are the young people anymore I mean that whole that whole line mm-hmm. of reasoning is bullshit. It is bullshit to try to silence people because you think they haven't lived as many years as you have. I can't stand that argument.
1: Well, and for a middle-aged white woman to tell a younger woman of color like you don't even know is just preposterous. Yeah. It's yeah. preposterous. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then to recommend incidents in life of a slave girl. Are, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> it, it goes on though. It keeps okay. going. I'm not Good. buying any of this nonsense about white silence. You don't know anything about my experiences in life, and I resent you thinking it's okay for you to spout off about race issues to me. I know who I am, and I know what my mission in life is. I'm a fighter for equality, and I have been since before you were even born. I have read many books and studied vast amounts about women's experiences across time and place and across cultures. I think you just need to get over yourself and realize you're not the only person who has suffered in life. Every woman in that room has suffered, even the white ones. You are way out of line with your comments and your statements numbered one through five. Which I have, to be fair, I have not read the initial email she's responding to. Um, Mm -hmm. But honestly, like, even if I were to imagine, like, the worst possible email, it does not warrant any like there's Uh no reason you should ever send this email i reject your analysis and i withdraw my first offer to speak with you one-on-one to me all of this is just the result of an immature girl who wants to blame the world for her bad experiences there's no way that any of what you have said has anything to do with me i don't know who you think you are that you believe you deserve any kind of special treatment the world is a tough place for women period accept responsibility for your own issues they have nothing to do with me or the women who were at the last meeting jesus fucking christ okay I'm so awful You were by far the most disrespectful guest after the fact that we have ever had. You were also the only person who has ever received $25 from the group's fund, which you readily accepted. (sighs) $25? (laughs) -hmm. (laughs) That acceptance of payment is interesting in light of the fact that you feel you were so discriminated against that you accepted money from our group after you insulted us. 2017. $25. Yes. You you accepted money from our group after you insulted us and referred to me as the white oppressor. You only got that money because Steve said you were traveling a long way. (laughs) Oh, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Steve. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out you live right around the corner and really didn't deserve that check at all. No other guest speakers ever asked for or received any money from our group, which right there I'm like, then, lady, then you aren't doing equality work because – If you have guest speakers, you should find ways to compensate them, especially Mm -hmm. if they are people with minoritized identities. What Mm -hmm. are you thinking? Mm -hmm. And no other guest speakers complained about being disrespected like you have and insulted me the way you have since that evening ended. I suggest you get off your high horse and drop this, quote, white women of color, white women versus women of color nonsense. We're all in this together, sister. Oh, are Are we? Are (laughs) we? Are we? I don't, oh, listen, this, the. oh, my God, the irony is just too much. These two sentences literally come one right after the other. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together, sister. I don't owe you anything because you believe you've had a certain experience in life from being whatever it is you consider yourself to be. To be able to write those two sentences one right after the other, unironically.
0: What is this woman's name
1: again? It is Bananas, Barbara Cady, C-A-D-Y. I am a compassionate human being who understands quite well that women of all colors, religions, and socioeconomic backgrounds do not have equality with white men in this society. Don't spread hate among your sisters. We will need to be united if we are ever going to overthrow the white patriarchy. I hope you can be mature enough to do a little self-reflection and realize that you played a very big part in your bad experience at our meeting. I will not be engaging with your organization. There are plenty of other women's support services I can engage with who will not be as disrespectful as you have been. So basically, like, like the only way to do this is to do this together, but, like, never criticize me. Don't ever tell me I've read books. I know about things that you couldn't ever know about. Like, how? What? wow. Isn't that, like, something to read?
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And who made that public? I'm guessing.
1: The woman who received woman. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like yeah. Um, Stephanie Lorraine Pinheiro. So apparently, um, the, Barbara Katie wrote five emails to Pinheiro, and Pinheiro never responded. Um, she, instead, she canceled all her speaking engagements. By the way, I should say, I have also received similar emails from a an older white woman mm-hmm. who emailed me over and over and over and over and over and over again to, like, read me the riot act. I, it, and I, I would bet, what is the saying? I'd bet dollars to donuts. Oh, is I that what it idea. is? I don't even know what that means, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, she just strikes me as like someone who would love to belong to now this, you know, like yeah. a, she loves white feminists. She loves white suffragists. Like she's super into that. And she was not having me and I never replied to her. And that just like, didn't matter. There were more emails coming. So I could totally like I felt for Stephanie Pinheiro because these emails suck. Anyway, the last wow. time she heard from Barbara Katie was last July, which would have been like the following year when she emailed Pinheiro to solicit donations for her state house campaign. And Pinero said, I was just shocked at how out of touch she was and how much she just did not get that what happened was wrong. She said now does not want to engage truly with young women of color or people of color. They want complacent young women of color bodies in the room because it is trendy to be inclusive. And then in a statement to the Daily Beast, Barbara Katie apologized for the way she handled the situation. And she said, I have since left the NOW organization to run for public office in the state of Florida, and have allied myself with different organizations such as uh, Mission Boricua and Alianza for Progress, and have learned much about the issues of racism in America. Looking back with what I have learned since then, I could have handled the situation better, I'm sorry that I was not better equipped and let my fragile ego get in the way of my work. When we know better, we do better. Mm. Yep. <sighs> uh, that email is a lot. Yeah. There's just so much. I mean, and honestly, like for 70 year to so you have the courage to make that public says a lot. Like, I appreciate that. I mean, I think being able to read something like that and to try to reflect on the ways that we send messages like that. Whether they're written or verbal or whether that's just how like the logic that is doing in our mind to be able to sit with a document like that and look at the hypocrisy that's within it and look at the ageism and racism and like to be able to use it as a case to help us stop our own racism from happening or ageism from happening, I think is really valuable. So I'm grateful. I'm sure. I hope Barbara Katie is mortified that that email was made public. Maybe she's not. I don't know, but yeah, it's I think a helpful, instructive. So
0: she ran for office. Recent? It must have been recently. State House. It would have State been house,
1: <laughs> a couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh, I didn't look that up. Um, you are such a better well, petty detective than I, I know. Am. I'm like, I'm like,
0: what's this bitch doing now? Let's find her. <laughs> look <laughs> it up.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay, so then so Emily Sugarman writes like is writing this article for the Daily Beast. She of course reaches out for comment to all of the people being implicated in this. So she finds out that as she's Reaching out for comment to the now official office, including Tony Van Pelt, that Van Pelt sends an email to all now board members, state presidents, staff and PAC members apologizing for any hurt she's caused and committing to action items to improve racial justice within the organization and says, I want to and will do better. I want the National Organization for Women to do better and we will do better. Her promises included to hire a full time staff member dedicated to increasing diversity throughout the organization to conduct virtual racial equity training in town halls for members, maybe so they don't like shout things like white women, too. <laughs> what about the white women? That would be helpful. And then um, to campaign for police accountability and against voter suppression. She said in this email, now prioritizes educating our members about racism, white privilege systemic and structural oppression and suppression. Now has been working on equality issues for over 50 years, and I know we have much more work to do. We are always listening, learning, growing, and striving to improve. All Black Lives Matter, which I thought was a weird mashup of those (laughs) two. Phrases. Um, As a white woman, I'll never understand the experiences of women of color. I challenge myself to address structural racism and recognize that this is a lifelong, ongoing process. I do understand it's critical to acknowledge my own privilege and strive to be a better ally. As the leader of now and a leader within the intersectional feminist movement, I must hold myself and our organization accountable to do more. You think? And part of me is like, step aside. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if there's a point, there comes a point when if you are serious, you... Create space to seed power and pass the mic in, like, institutionalized ways. Because clearly this, like, just staying in power but, like, add tacking things on or, like, nodding to certain things is not the same as being, like, that being the engine of what you're doing or... The reason that you do this work, it's like, oh, yeah, we could also look into police brutality. That just doesn't carry the same weight as like our organization is dedicated to the issues that women care about. And we prioritize the most vulnerable women's issues. And that would then flip the script on all of the issues that we're pressing for. It wouldn't be the things that have been at the top of our agenda. Yeah. So then in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, now issues a press release claiming that racial justice is at the core of now's mission and called on allies to stand up, speak out and make intentional and purposeful movements of solidarity. Apparently the statement initially was sent out with a subject line. I can't breathe. We all can't breathe. Oh no. (laughs) Right. Come on. Who's in charge? So apparently members like protest. They're like, Mm -hmm. no, no, Mm -mm. no, 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 no. Mm -mm. And then some of these, um, some people who are who still are involved, like um, Kalika Siegel, who's the who at the time of the article was the California now president, said the call to end systemic racism is laughable. We haven't committed to any racism within now. How can you call for anybody else to clean up their house when we haven't cleaned up our own? Um, Patty Bellasalma was a former California president, said, It's always the other organizations that have well thought out, well researched policies and highly professional people. The national organization has become a way station for insecure, uncredentialed, sometimes unemployable white women. (laughs) And China Forts in Washington said, The greatest fear I see in now is that the older white women fear change. They fear the change in what now looks like because for so long, they've only seen a person who looks like them in leadership. That's their fear, is that there are women of color out here that are fearless, they're formidable, they're intelligent, and they have the capability to lead. But in this organization, they always want women of color to be second. And I Mm -hmm. think of that, the quote from earlier about wanting complacent young women of color to look hip and trendy, it's like- I want you as an accessory because you look good. I don't actually want to do anything that's going to indicate that I have to put myself, like I have to deprioritize my concerns. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Interesting. Well,
0: I see on now's website that apparently when Christian Nunez took over as president, she started um, an annual, Racial Justice Summit, and this year's Mm. annual Racial Justice Summit takes place next week. Um, Oh my
1: gosh, get out!
0: On Wednesday, February 23rd, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., so three hours on Mm. one day, but, you know, we'll see. So there's, um, you can, read. it's a virtual event, so it looks like anyone can register, so maybe... Maybe I'll see if I can jump on that and see how this actually is being presented currently and now, and maybe give a little rundown next week. But if anyone is interested in joining, you can get on their website and um, register online. It looks like they have um, some keynote speakers, um, Jamie Raskin, who's a Senator um, from Maryland and then, let's see, president and C- uh, CEO of Planned Parenthood, um, Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter Fund, then uh, Vanessa Gonzalez, who's executive Vi- vice president at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Looks like some other voting topics, um, maybe some reproductive topics. So, yeah. Anyway, it would be interesting to look and see how they are... Um, addressing with these issues this. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Anyway. No, so next week, February 23rd, um, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern time. If you are interested in seeing if they've fixed any of their <laughs> past and I mean, seemingly recent bullshit,
1: super deep, deeply embedded in the organization. And there's just no way, like that's an impossible task, especially to put on, like an incoming woman of color who's president to say like, okay, fix it, fix yeah. it in six months, go. I mean, it's just so, so hard um, and impossible, you know? So it, I just wonder like, what are the longer term commitments that rank and file members are making? And, you know, what's the work that white women in the organization are willing to commit themselves to? And what are they willing to think about and reflect on? Because that that email was some bullshit. yeah And I'm sure it's not uncommon. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. think that from at least from this reporting that it's not like a super outlier.
0: But it sounds like the details of the whole um controversy between Van Pelt and yazi are also super, super, super interesting and disturbing to say the least. Um and I saw on here too you were um saying something about what nation yazi comes from, so she's oh, not yeah, thank
1: you. Oh great. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um there's one this was um There's a magazine um, called Educational Leadership that I just had an article published in that I co-wrote with Paul Gorski and Marceline Debose about what um, schools and districts need to do to really push for leaps in equity and not just like little tiny baby steps. Which I actually think is relevant to this conversation about now as an organization. Like, ooh, we know we have some things to do, so here are these like. Nibble, 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 or like mm-hmm. we're gonna rearrange the furniture, but we still control everything. Yeah, doesn't fundamentally alter the situation. And the um, the magazine had a Twitter chat, which of course I didn't participate in because I don't understand Twitter or how it works. <laughs> but I could see some of the responses when I looked the next day. And somebody, one of the questions that they posed was, what does authentic overperformative allyship look like in equity efforts? And somebody's response I thought was really powerful for thinking about white women especially. And it's Dustin Voss, whose handle is at Teacher Voss said, it might mean prioritizing equity as a value over another value, especially when the deprioritized value is also very important, shared and rarely sacrificed. For example, the best for children. And then he has the greater than sign, the best for my children. Mm-hmm. And I thought that just summed up white women's like problem. Mm-hmm. So, wow, like and thinking about now that it's what made me think of it was like, wow, okay, now is clearly working on really important issues. Like I'm not pro sexual harassment. I'm not, you know, supportive of employment discrimination. Of course, I want those things tackled. But so it's this idea of of thinking like there are lots of important things to work about. But if we really say we care about equity and justice, then. There, then you have to center the needs of the people who are being most harmed. You have to center those concerns. And so in this example, this Twitter user is saying, so when the the needs of all children do, that matters more than like your specific kid, especially yeah. if your kid is like structurally advantaged in every possible way. It just does. It doesn't. It's not to say your kid doesn't matter. Of course they do. And and we get why you love them and want to fight for them. But there will be times when your issue has to take, you know, a backseat back to these these more pressing issues. And I think if you if you have an organization like this where leadership tends to be the same demographic of people who are structurally advantaged in pretty much every other conceivable way, they're only going to focus on those issues that matter to them.
0: Yeah.
1: It takes a rare person to not do that, I think. So yeah. then, then the best thing you can do is step aside and like not be the person setting the agenda.
0: Yeah. Well, I think just bringing that up for people to think of is important too, because I think that's a realization that I've had in trying to decide where I can best focus my own efforts personally um, and where I can help and mm-hmm. the feeling of like, definitely not needing to be in charge of things and trying to be more supportive than running these sorts of roles um, when we do get involved in things. So I think just being aware that that's a thing that we've done and continue to do and
1: we need to stop is helpful itself. So, yeah, there was another quote in this Twitter chat. I'm not even sure I'm saying that right, but it was some, whatever. (laughs) thing that um, Scott Sider, who's a scholar in education, um, he was responding to another question about this. And he said, I've always personally found helpful this quotation by Lerone Bennett. The white man is free to aid that liberation effort by contributing information, sweat, arms, money, blood, that he is not free to lead that struggle or to define it. Yeah. And even though they're talking about white men in that quote, white women, I think we need to listen to that as well um let's talk about what comes next you're gonna teach us about the era right yes that's what we're gonna talk about next week and i'm not sure where it's gonna go (laughs) i mean there's so much more with white feminism that we have yet to get into and i think especially like the 90s has a lot of stuff that we need to look at and should we say we've got an author scheduled for an interview Mm -hmm. and i am obsessed with her book i love it so much
0: yeah I'm excited. Should we announce
1: it? Sure. Yeah. Do it. Okay. Um, So some of you, we've mentioned this book, I think, at the very beginning. Um, But it is Jessie Daniels, and her book is Nice White Ladies. Mm -hmm. It's got a subtitle. Let me see what it is. Uh, The Truth About White Supremacy, Our Role in It, and How We Can Help Dismantle It. Um, it is a really great read and I'm so, so excited to talk to her. So that's coming up in a few weeks. I strongly recommend people getting that book. Um, but we're going to reach out. We are hopefully going to tap into some other authors too, because there's just a bunch of really awesome books about this that I know like white feminism by Kola um, hood feminism by Mickey, Mickey Kendall. Kendall. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh, I know I'm forgetting like three or four others that we've been reading, but yeah. they're so good. Yeah. All right. Great. Okay. We'll talk again next week. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye.